0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Unboxing Judaism podcast. My name is Rabbi Arya Wolbe. Rabbi Yaakov Nagel, pleasure. Yeah, it's an honor to be back here right before Rosh Hashanah. I want to congratulate you, Rabbi Nagel, on the seum of uh, the conclusion of the Mesech of Sukkah, Tractate Sukkah, which has 56 pages of Talmud, uh, 56 folios, and it's an enormous accomplishment, which really leads me to the question I wanted to discuss today. Absolutely. You know, I hear a lot from people about the guys who are in yeshiva. Shouldn't they get a real job? Shouldn't they, you know, have a career? Shouldn't they be responsible for supporting their family? I have many of my students who talk to me about this, and they it really bothers them. So I think it's important for us to, to address this issue and really talk about the importance and power of studying Torah for the sake of studying Torah? Excellent. That's a
1: super important question. It is, as as we read, it's a Mishnah that says the Talmud Torah can kulam, which basically translates that the study of Torah is um, equivalent to all the mitzvahs. And it is on par with all the mitzvahs. So yes, all the mitzvahs combined. Combined, yes. Yeah. So obviously, we're talking about one of the most important things, and yet it's something that for people who didn't who who didn't grow up educated in a in a yeshiva system just don't really understand. And it reminds me of just a, like sort of flow into it a joke that they said about a certain um, rabbi who was very into his studies, constantly studying. And one of his constituents comes up to him and says, I don't understand, Rabbi. Didn't you go to the school for this? What do you continue to study for? It's like you it must be you know, like you uh, like studying, like it's like it's like almost like it's like imagining a doctor is like still reading. It's like, uh oh, that's a problem. If you're le- if you're learning, you know, the the medic the, the medical books, that means that you don't know your material which is exactly the opposite of what the truth is. And that's really gets us to this idea of what is the purpose? What are we trying to accomplish? And why is it such a fundamental to Judaism as a whole,
0: the idea of Torah study? You know, so there are many stories and there are many ideas that come to mind when we talk about just the pure study of Torah. I mean, how many of our great sages dedicated their lives? Uh, how many scholars there are today? I mean, we're living in a generation that has the the absolute explosion of Torah. I mean, you walk in the streets of Jerusalem, and every corner there's another synagogue and another yeshiva in the top floor, in the bottom floor, in the you know, in the middle floor. You have everywhere you have booming yeshivas. And Torah institutions everywhere across the globe. In Houston, we're we're exploding. We have a uh, you know many many schools that teach Torah, and uh, one of them, our the one that I send my children to, the one that you send your children to, I believe, right? Um, you have all your children that are in day school or in that school, and we have over four hundred and thirty students, and this is Houston, Texas, and it's like it's an it really is an explosion of Torah study in our in our generation. But that question comes back. It's like, why study the Torah? Okay, so be a good Jew. Observe the mitzvahs. To sit and learn, to sit and learn, and to sit and learn. So I remember my grandfather would address this from a totally different angle. My grandfather was a big rabbi, many of you know. And his approach was was the opposite, in the sense that he would go to the yeshivas, And I heard him say this numerous times, where he would yell about guys who were married sitting in kolal, which is a yeshiva for married men. And they would sit and learn for years and years and years, and they would never leave. And he would say like this, you have to feel a responsibility for the Jewish people. You have to feel a responsibility for your brethren. And if you have the ability, with all of your Torah knowledge, to go share that with the world, you have that obligation, not to just hold it for yourself. So yes, take the Torah learning and move it. That was one part. There was another part that he shared. And that was that there is an obligation for us to provide for our families. And if someone is not learning with the full 100% capacity of Torah study, meaning... Yeah, it's the comfortable thing for me to do. I'm getting my check from the government, and it's a comfortable thing. He said such a person is considered a rodef. He's he's a what he do you translate rodef in, in English? He's a pursuer. He's putting some. He's putting other t- Torah scholars in danger by not taking the appropriate, responsible measures for his family. And I, I think that mean meaning, you know, I have a, a brother in law who's a great Torah scholar. And anybody who knows him would do anything in the world they can, that he not be interrupted from Torah study. Just just sit and learn. Because it's the purest and the holiest and most pristine Torah study. He's not He doesn't have any distractions just to sit and learn. He's a great Torah scholar and author as well. That's what we want. We want the purity and the holiness of Torah. The problem is, is that I think people are confusing doing other jobs with the Torah, the blending of other things with the Torah, which is important, obviously. We all do that. But what is, le- I want to talk about, about the highest level of someone who can dedicate their entire lives 100% to Torah study.
1: Okay. So, first of all, there's a, I think, I think a very important thing that most people don't think about is, um, is Torah study for everybody? Okay. And I think that's a, Before we get to the person who it's their everything, we need to recognize the fact that, yes, Torah study is for every single person, every single Jew, at least. Torah study is for them. And Torah study is on each to the level that they can, but absolutely. And it's fascinating how the Talmud actually subcategorizes the various levels of Torah study. They have people called Bale Mikra, people who are, um, what we'd call proficient. proficient in the five books of Moses. That's their area. Then there's Bale Mishnah. They're the Jews. They, um, study the, the books of the Mishnah, the six orders, and that's their level. And then there's Bale Talmud, and that's the, um, studying on the level of understanding the reasonings behind all the, the Mishnai's. This is, the different levels that the Talmud discusses, um, and everybody needs to dedicate time to Torah study for Torah study's sake. But one of the primary things, and this is one of uh, something that people don't even think about, and that is that in the Torah study for for Torah's sake, there's a famous Rav Chaim Volashin, I'm sure you're familiar with this, he was the founder of the first yeshiva in Europe. That, of the, that's that our yeshivas are pretty much patterned after. And he writes in his, you know, seminal work, the Nefesh HaChaim, he writes how that Torah study for for study's sake is not the not when you're is the enjoyment in the Torah study is in fact not it not only is it not a detraction from for Torah for Torah's sake, but it is. When there is that enjoyment in the Torah study, that is, in fact, the fulfillment of studying Torah for Torah's sake. That's not called an ulterior motive, and that's, in fact, ideal.
0: Um, so that's, so, so, so yeah. you're saying tr- true altruistic study of Torah for no benefit. I'm not doing it to get paid. I'm not doing it to get honor. I'm doing it just, I'm not even get, doing it to learn. To understand I'm doing it because this is what hashem commanded me to do to study his Torah to study his uh, guide and I the way I simplify the understanding of what Torah is is I don't know if I've given this on this on this podcast before but this this uh, muscle this example right but if someone buys a car they buy a brand new car so uh you know till now they drove their Toyota Corolla now they drive their BMW so it's the ultimate driving experience. So what's going to be the first time they take the car out of the lot? They go, when is the first time they're going to look at the manual? When they go fill up gas. Why? Because till now I put in the cheapest gas as long as I get the car moving. But now I'm driving the ultimate driving machine. I'm driving a luxury vehicle. If I want to have the ultimate driving experience, I have to follow the rules. So you open up the book and then Mr. BMW tells you you have to put in premium gas. See, premium gas? It's a dollar more per gallon. Are you crazy? Who do you think you are, Mr. BMW, to tell me what to put into my car? It's my car. I worked hard. I earned this. I'm going to put what I want to put in. And what's Mr. BMW going to tell you? Do whatever you want. Put water in there. I'm just telling you as the manufacturer of this vehicle, if you want to experience the ultimate driving experience, I I created the engine. I created the transmission. I'm telling you how to use it in the ultimate way, in the, in the most part. Right? Hashem created a, a human being and He gives us the Torah as the manual. He says, these are the ingredients you need to maximize life, to maximize pleasure, to maximize the experience of life. You don't want to listen? Don't listen. You have your free will. You can do what you want. But... This is Hashem expected agra- to run as it should. <laughs> exactly, right? Hashem, yeah. And you know what? Sometimes they're gonna write to you in the car manual: don't turn on on a turn, don't be too sharp because it it could tip. Right. Don't do it. Sir, well, take you care not what to what avoid to the warranty. Uh, exactly. <laughs> now ha- Hashem tells us there's certain things you shouldn't eat. There's certain things you should eat. Right? There's certain things that you should do. Certain things that you shouldn't do because Hashem is t- guiding us and giving us. That is the manual. Of how to maximize life. So, in the study of Torah, we can learn Torah because I want to understand. I want to I want to see the manual and understand. But that's not the only study of Torah. There's a lot of the topics that we studied in tractate Sukkah mm-hmm. that probably will never be relevant to us, right? And if there's no temple, you know, in our lifetime, then maybe maybe right, it won't it won't be relevant till the re, till the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And we still study it. It's not practical for us, but we still study it because it's Torah. And there's a virtue to studying something in Torah. In Torah, I'm not talking about, right in medicine. If it's not relevant to you, why would you study it? Why would you why, why, right? why you fill not, your brain with something that's not practical? It's not practical, right? But if I in Torah, even if I don't need it or necessarily benefit from it, so to speak. There's a benefit to it. right? It's like we're going to say tonight when you do the Siyam, when you conclude. The, so we say, We toil and they toil. Meaning, the nations of the world, people out there, they toil, and we also toil. What's the difference? We toil and receive reward, and they toil and don't receive reward. And of course, the question is, what are you talking about? I hire an electrician. He, he does he works get rewarded hard. and he gets paid, right? I hire a plumber and he works hard and he, and he and he gets paid. So what are you saying? They don't get paid. So the answer, I believe it's from the Chavitz Chaim. He says that what happens if you hire a plumber? You tell him I have a leaky sink. And he says, you know, I need to get that part. He goes to Home Depot and he buys the part. He comes back and he's under the, under your faucet and he's, it was for five hours. He's there. After five hours, he says, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't fix still it. Leaking. It's still leaking. Right. right? So he's going to say, and he gives you a bill for $250. And you're like, excuse me. Right. What are you giving me a bill for? 200, right. I asked you to fix it. I didn't ask you to work for five hours. I asked you to fix it. You didn't fix it. Goodbye. I'll call someone else who can fix it. Right. Absolutely. That's the way it works. But in Torah, what happens if someone sits and learns Torah for five hours and he doesn't understand a word? He sat and he read the portion. He read the Mishnah. He read the Talmud. He read the Midrash. Whatever it is, he can and come he, out even more confused than he was he, when, he yeah, and then when he started. Yeah, than when he started. But you know what? He gets the reward. He gets it's paid the for the, as, for, for the, the effort. The effort. Because, <laughs> and this is why, it leads me to the, my favorite Mishnah in, in ethics of our fathers, is our job is not to complete the task. <inaudible> You're not free to take a vacation from it meaning our job is not to necessarily succeed and reach and attain perfection, but our job is to never stop pursuing perfection. Yeah, I may not understand it, but my job is not to run away from it. My job is to continue pursuing and trying it. Uh, I may not succeed in attaining it, but I should never stop pursuing it.
1: I just want to give a little bit of an insight into this whole idea. What? How can that be a value when you're toiling trying to understand, you're breaking your head on something, and yet you, with all your efforts, you're still not understanding. Why is that even of value? So, just recognizing that what you're attempting to do when studying Torah, you're attempting to connect to God's Word. Think about that. This is God's Directions, God's words, and we're trying to connect to it. That process of connection is itself a value okay. just right there into itself. It's, it is, it is, it is connecting, you're attaching yourself to God by that process. And even if it's the the it's example given is that when we're trying to understand the Torah, so the rabbis explained that what it's similar to is like we're digging and digging, trying to get to the understanding. But the Torah itself is digging on the other side towards us. So although it seems that we're not getting anywhere, but every effort, every effort is getting us closer. There's a Talmud the expression that when it talks about Torah, it says, yogata vil, the, the, the lo If a person put in the toil and he didn't find, don't believe him. Um lo yogata You didn't put in the toil, but I found the truth. It's like, it came to me. No. Al-Tamed. Al-tame. When do we believe it? Yogata Only if you put in the toil and after the toilet you found it, that's when it's gonna be a, a acceptable, a believable thing. Why? But the think about the word. The word matsasa doesn't mean it's finding like a lost object. There's nobody who goes around the world and says, you know, looking around. You know, very rare to go around with those metal detectors to try and find lost objects. It doesn't work that way. you inadvertently it, it comes to you, you find something, okay? That's the word that we're using to describe it. It's almost not connected directly. It's like a gift, so to speak. By virtue of your effort, God appreciates that effort, and then you'll get that gift. But you really need to put all your effort in, and that's the process. But with that process, the sweetness of the Torah comes out. And it's interesting that the blessing that we say on the Torah focuses on that. We say v'ha'arevna, which means sweetness. Make the sweet, make the Torah sweet to us. Let us appreciate that sweetness, because once somebody, with the work and with the toil, and with all that effort trying to understand it, he gets it. It's like that. The pleasure is is indescribable, and. That's where that's the beauty of that. You're connected to the God, to
0: God directly. You know, this is one of the most beautiful introductions to any book. Is the Ramban's introduction to the Torah, Nachmanides is in the twelve hundreds, late eleven hundreds, early twelve hundreds, and he writes in his book. He says, "Who am I to write a pirush, a, 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 a an explanation to the Torah, to God's work?" And he writes. Avalma'e, what should I do? He says, my soul yearns for the Torah. I can't help myself. He says, I didn't want to. I didn't feel I was worthy, but I just, I have, you know, in that unsa insatiable thirst for Torah comes when a person puts forward an effort and they try. And it's not necessarily going to be successful right away, right? We see the, the, uh, the commentaries. Rashi says, in 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 Parshas Yisro, right? Rashi says, "Kol Beginnings are always difficult. Beginnings are always difficult. The beginning of marriage, the beginning of of partnerships, the beginning of a business, the beginning of everything is difficult. The beginning of our quest for Torah, Torah study, is going to be difficult. We're going to face challenges. It's going to be scheduling. It's going to be the Itzahara, It's going to be all of these different, you know, temptations and desires and things that come in our way that will try to Nag at us and and disturb us from our focus. But once we get past that initial stage and we start that that thirst that comes with it is is insatiable. It's like I want more Torah. I want more Torah. I want more Torah. And, and it, because we see not only because I enjoy it and it's pleasurable for me, that would be that could be seen as a selfish thing, right? That could, but that's acceptable too. But it's because. The Torah creates a, a, um, a mechanism of desire, of, of wanting, of, of connection, really, to, the, to the words, to the source, which is Hashem, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, in the words, in the very words that are in the Torah. And it's, it, you read through all of Deuteronomy. It's like the most remarkable. Each portion is a gold mine. Again, and you, you look through all the Torah, it's a gold mine. It's like never-ending wisdom, and you wonder, it's like, how does the world exist without having this? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it's fascinating thing about the uh,
1: Torah. There's so many parts of Torah that, when you think about it, it's like I don't know if anybody has gone to a synagogue and hears a sermon from the rabbi, and there's a message from the Torah portion that's timely that connects. Perfectly to something that's on our mind, and that's there. And how does that happen? And it's every week, week in, week out, year after year. The rabbis giving classes, or and you uh, know you're going to a torch class or something, and something from the Torah portion is connecting to what I'm going through in my life. How is that? It's it's only because this is God's word, that's there for eternity for every circumstance and it's a message that is embedded in every part of the torah to connect to and that's um and the more you study the more you realize that this is not speaking to me um to to some other time some other place it's speaking to me in the era now in exactly the struggles that i am going through in my own life and it's a message for me and the more we're willing to Open our ears and eyes to see it and to hear it. The more we'll see it, and the more we'll experience it. So the Torah study is not just uh, theoretical, and it's and even that what I'm driving at is that even the most theoretical portion of the Torah is full of lessons, full of life lessons. That is exactly what we needed to hear. That's one factor. I think there's also another very important thing. As as you If you introduce yourself to us, if you get to know a true Torah scholar who really toiled in Torah, you'll be amazed at his tremendous acumen and ability to cut through the fat and get right to the core of anything, of any topic. And that is all from the process of Torah study, because that's what the process is. When we're learning, we're encouraged to ask questions to delve in, to analyze. And that's what the Talmud especially is built for. It's full of questions and answers. And what were we thinking before this question? All these ways of analysis sharpen our, our ability to see things, see things that are real. We have an expression for the Talmudic scholars, the, our leaders, as the the eyes of the nation, the eyes of the people. Because by training themselves in in study, they can see things that they cut through the cha- the the fat and cut off the fat and go straight to what the meat of any issue is. And I'm sure you've been exposed to these people, and you're amazed. Wow! I didn't even think of this in, in this way, but it's all from the, you ask them. It's all from their studying and pushing and trying to understand things. That developed that skill, so that itself is another fact. So
0: there are a lot of points that I want to I want to address that that I think are are are, are so enlightening from from your words, Rabbi Um Particularly, I mean, I know there are many people who may be listening or watching to this podcast and thinking to themselves, Rabbi, that's very nice. You grew up religious. You grew up in a yeshiva. But me, I live out in uh, San Francisco. I'm living in Cincinnati, wherever it is, and I don't have access to Torah, and I don't have a and I didn't grow up in a in a religious home, and I didn't go to yeshiva, and I'm 55 years old. And what do you expect from me now? So I just want each and every one of you to know, okay, that Rabbi Akiva is our perfect example of how it's never ever too late to begin. There's no such thing. I can tell you many, many people who started very late in their lives their study of torah and have been able been able to accomplish unbelievable accomplishments through the study of torah through diligence through hard work through dedication through commitment and the quest for knowing uh, a quest for knowledge but also the quest for for knowing the truth i want to know what hashem has to say about this and that pursuit that desire to want to connect on a higher level with Hashem's words doesn't have an expiration date. I mean, it does have an expiration date, but while we're alive, it doesn't, right? While we're alive, that needs to be our number one focus, is how do I engage myself more with Hashem's word? And that could be, by the way, there are millions and millions of hours of podcasts, right? Jewish great rabbis, great influences. Of course, you have TorchPodcast.com. You have all of the the I think twelve Torch podcasts that are available, which have, thank God, very gifted uh uh Torah classes there, but there's others as well. There are many very very, very valuable resources that each one of you listening to this podcast can listen to dozens, if not hundreds, and hundreds of other podcasts that offer such a wide array of content and real Torah. And though there are those who will go through the Parsha with you every week, and there are those who can go with you through the daily folio of Talmud, I myself sit at night when I have some quiet, I sit and I listen to a podcast of the Daf, of the Daf, the Daf Yomi, so that I can learn the Daf Yomi. You produce a, a Daf Yomi podcast as well, right? That's listened to, right? It's an unbelievable ability that each and every one of us has to use the resources that God has given us. He's given us these resources, right? Whether it be uh, watching videos, Torah classes online, you know, you can, on YouTube you can watch, it. or torahanytime.com, there's so many, age.com, there's so many amazing resources that are available. All we need is only one thing. Only one thing we have to want. We have to desire. And if a person wants to, then we ask Hashem, Hashem, succeed our way. I want it. I need your help now, and Hashem is always there to help us. You know, so to to me, it's like I don't want any listener thinking that's great. I'm happy you have that value. I'm happy that you have that that capability. But for me, it's not for me. I'm I'm too old. I'm too stuck in my ways. There's no such thing, right, Rabbi Akiva? I think the modern day Rabbi Akiva is Rabbi Uri Zohar. Rabbi Uri Zohar, when I took a a trip to to Israel with uh, with students. I said, "We're going to go to many great places. We're going to go to the Western Wall. We're going to go to the Kotel. We're going to go to to Rachel's Tomb, and we're going to go to some really magnificent places, uplifting, spiritual, breathtaking places. But we need to meet the modern day Rabbi Akiva, and that's Urizar. Urizar, for those of you who don't know, was a is an unbelievable. Was the I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. He was the Hollywood superstar of Israel." Right, You you've heard of him. Yes. He's like unbelievable. He's like he was he was a, a comedian. He was a he he was just an unbelievable actor and he did and when he was in his forties, he met with a rabbi and uh was taken by his genuine love, concern, wisdom. He was intrigued. And his whole life he's been mocking religious life. His whole life he's been mocking religious people they're a bunch of uh Backward. Pe- yeah they're penguins that just uh, go like go like sheep and he had all of these you know he's just like the they're black and white they don't have life and they don't have culture and they don't have you know they don't have intellect and they're just they're just you know simple-minded people and he hears this rabbi he's like wow this is brilliant this is unbelievable and he decides um you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do something about it and he learned and learned and learned. And he says, wow, it seems like this is true. This is unbelievable. And he started wearing tittus every day. And he started wearing a kippah every day. It was slowly, very slow process. And everyone around him thought that this was his next act. Like, it's brilliant. It's like he's playing the role of a religious person. And he says, "No, I'm not. I'm not playing. This is for real." And <laughs> like, wow, he's He's hysterical. Even better. Yeah, he's hysterical, <laughs> right? And and uh, he cre- he created an enormous movement of people who transformed their lives later in life. Mm-hmm. With, with with an I, and I, I used to walk home with him from shul every Friday night when I lived in Jerusalem. We used to daven in the same in the same synagogue, and I always wanted to walk home with him because I felt like I was walking within an elevated human being he was he, he had this presence of godliness on him he was a like, shevitya he always like he would walk with a consciousness of i'm standing before god right this is again 40 years or 45 years after he returned he was already in his 80s late 80s but it's unbelievable so we went to see him and we saw him we went, we went to his house they said he's across the street at the shul he's he's davening He's he's praying Mincha. So I went with the students who went into the show, and we see him talking. It's like he's having a face-to-face conversation with God. It's like it it was vivid, real. It's like it was an unbelievable experience just to see how he talks to Hashem in prayer. It was an unbelievable uh, experience. Then we came out, and everyone was like, wow, blown away by him. They said, no, can we take a picture with you? He says, of course. He says, I'm a movie guy. He says uh, he says I love cameras, right? And of course they took pictures. It's a very different type of uh, but it, it was it was it was an unbelievable experience because you see a guy who is down to earth, but a guy who spends every single minute of his day that he has available to study Torah and to spread the word of Torah. He spent many years the rabbis told him you got to go out and share your Torah with the world. And it's that's that's I think a great example of how it's never too late is no such thing as a person should ever say me, what I don't do have, have to offer. Uh, what do I have to offer? Every single person is special and unique, and has a special uniqueness to Torah. There's another thing that I was brought, and then I want you to take the floor. Is that we have to make sure that the Torah that we study is truthful Torah and not biased Torah, and that comes by having a rabbi. You know, we have a class here at the Torch Center every single Friday. It's, called, it's It's the thinking Talmudist class. And I started that class for one purpose. is because I would always get the question is, who made up these rules? Right? Where does this come from? And I said, you need to learn Talmud for that. And what the class has been, it's been very profound because for many of the people it's been a huge eye-opener. Everything is on the table, like you said. Everything in the Talmud, you don't go three lines in the Talmud without a question, without a challenge, without a refutation, with like what's your source? Where do you get that from? But that's a contradiction to something else you said in a different Bryce. It's like you you constantly have this. You know, I was once sitting with a with a a uh a priest. And it's not a joke. This is a true story. I was we would do we were we were doing something, a project together, and um for more details, you can email me privately. But we were sitting together and we were coordinating something we were doing together for a specific organization. And uh, we were meeting at Starbucks. And he said to me, so what do you do? You're a rabbi. What do you do? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a rabbi and we do education for, you know, for the community. For He says, so what are you teaching now? So I said, actually, right now I'm in the middle of a question and answer series. And we go to all these different synagogues. And people can ask any question they want. And I didn't realize who I was talking to. But I said, you know, Reverend so-and-so, do you do the same? And he looks at me. He says, question and answers? He says, you forgot what religion I'm from. In our religion, there's no questions. I said, I said really? I'm surprised. Because in Judaism... Our pursuit is truth. And the only thing we, we want is to know the source and we want to know the we want we want to validate the information. See, he said he said no no, no. he says, by us, if we start asking questions, this is shocking, shocking admission. <laughs> he says, by us, if you start asking questions, it all falls apart. Right? In Judaism, that's not the way we work. In Judaism, we, we encourage were, the question. We inc- every rabbi, is it okay for me to ask what do you mean is it okay for you to ask a question? Should. You better ask the question. We want the truth. We want to know what is the truth. And if ever if any rabbi, this is a piece of advice I, I tell to all of my students, okay? If any rabbi tells you, do it because I said so, leave. Don't ever follow what a rabbi says because he said so. I say, what's the source? And look at the source. If the rabbi says, before you walk into our synagogue, you have to clap your hand three times and do, uh, do, do, and, and dance with the, uh, you know, hopping on one leg. say, show me the source. And if he can't show you in the halacha and the shulchan aruch and the rambam, in the mishnah, in the talmud, in the torah, if he can't show you a source for it, you have some problems. You have to, is no, there's no, you have to have a rabbi. You have to have someone that you can learn from. But you have to make sure that it's authentic and that you're able to ask the questions and you're able to get valid answers and you're able to get the sources for everything. And the, the, we're not questioning that what the rabbi is telling you is authentic. Have the source. Know the source. Be knowledgeable. Arm yourself because it's your Torah. It was, it's not our Torah. It doesn't belong to the rabbis. It doesn't belong to the re- religious, those who went to, 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 to Hebrew school. That, that, that doesn't belong to them. It belongs to every single Jew. It's Morasha Akilas Yaakov. Please I just want to share with
1: you, we say in prayer, we say, Which means that we're talking to God and we're saying, Give to us our portion in the Torah. What does it mean, our portion? Give us knowledge of the Torah. Let us understand the Torah. What does it mean, our portion? This is a very crucial concept, that everybody has a special connection from their soul that connects to the Torah that is theirs. And therefore, nobody can say, oh, I don't really have any connection to the Torah. What do I have to offer? That's not true. You have your portion that's unique to your perception to understanding the Torah. And that is what, that's one very important crucial point. I want to share with you a thought that actually came up in last week's Parsha that struck me. The Talmud tells us an amazing idea. The Talmud says, how is it? It's not a Talmud. It's the, the verse in the, the text is Moshe Rabbeinu said that God has not given you um, a heart to understand, heart to know, ears to hear, eyes to see until this day. And the question that Rashi asks, what is, what happened that day that the verse is referring to? What day? What's, which day is this? So Rashi says, an amazing idea. He says, I heard. He didn't. He, he heard it from his teachers that there was something that happened that day. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Torah and he gave it to the priests. For after all, the priests, Shevet Levi, which was the tribe that he was from, were the teachers of the Torah and he handed it off to them. And all of the Jewish people, outside of Shevet Levi, came to Moshe, and they said, excuse me, Uh uh-uh, what are you doing? This, we were there at Sinai, we received the Torah just like you did. How come they're getting the Torah? What if they wake up later and say, you know what, this is our Torah, you guys, tough luck. No, we want our own Torah, and Moshe actually had to write separate Torah for each of the tribes. Why? Because, and that's when Moshe was like, Moshe was like, what, you don't trust me? He wasn't insulted. What was his reaction? His reaction is like, that's what I was looking for. That you're taking ownership, that you want to have your share in Torah, and you don't want to take no for an answer? That's exactly what, I, that's exactly I see that you really desire to be connected to Torah. They're showing their will there, and accusing Moshe of like nepotism or something is like, that's exactly what I love. Yes, you get your own Torah. We're not going to let you, uh, fall by the wayside or anything. And that's really what we're offering too. I think that's really what it is. Nobody has opportunity. Nobody can say, Oh, you know, an excuse. That's, you're saying there's so many opportunities out there. It's a good news and bad news. The good news is there's so many opportunities. The bad news is, sorry, you don't have much of an excuse. That's okay. right. No excuses. You can do it. Like you said, all you need is the want, and and it's achievable. There's access. And that's the key thing. Beautiful.
0: Thank you, Rabbi Nagel. To all of our listeners and friends out there, please, if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or ideas or topics you'd like us to address in future podcasts, please email us at unboxing at torchweb.org. Thank you so much and so long. Amazing. Thank you.